Chapter 16. Section 2. Part A. The Principles of Morals and Legislation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Principles of Morals and Legislation. Jeremy Bentham. Chapter 16. Divisions and Subdivisions. Section 2. Part A. 11. Let us see by what method these classes may be farther subdivided. First, then, with regard to offenses against individuals. In the present period of existence, a man's being and well-being, his happiness and his security, in a word, his pleasures and his immunity from pains, are all dependent, more or less, in the first place, upon his own person, and in the next place, upon the exterior objects that surround him. These objects are either things or other persons. Under one or other of these classes must evidently be comprised every sort of exterior object, by means of which his interest can be affected. If, then, by means of any offense, a man should on any occasion become a sufferer, it must be in one or other of two ways. One, absolutely, to wit, immediately in his own person, in which case the offense may be said to be an offense against his person, or two, relatively, by reason of some material relation which the before-mentioned exterior objects may happen to bear in the way of causality to his happiness. Now, in as far as a man is in a way to derive either happiness or security from any object which belongs to the class of things, such thing is said to be his property, or at least he is said to have a property or an interest therein. An offense, therefore, which tends to lessen the facility he might otherwise have of deriving happiness or security from an object which belongs to the class of things may be styled an offense against his property. With regard to persons, in as far as from objects of this class, a man is in a way to derive happiness or security, it is in virtue of their services in virtue of some services which, by one sort of inducement or another, they may be disposed to render him. Now then, take any man, by way of example, and the disposition, whatever it may be, which he may be in to render you service, either has no other connection to give birth or support to it than the general one that binds him to the whole species, or it has some connection more particular. In the latter case, such a connection may be spoken of as constituting, in your favor, a kind of fictitious or incorporeal object of property, which is styled your condition. An offense, therefore, the tendency of which is to lessen the facility you might otherwise have of deriving happiness from the services of a person thus specially connected with you, may be styled an offense against your condition in life, or simply against your condition. Conditions in life must evidently be as various as the relations by which they are constituted. This will be seen more particularly farther on. In the meantime, those of husband, wife, parent, child, master, servant, citizen of such or such a city, natural-born subject of such or such a country, 
may answer the purposes of example. Where there is no such particular connection, or what comes to the same thing, where the disposition, whatever it may be, which a man is to render you service is not considered as depending upon such connection, but simply upon the goodwill he bears to you, in such case, in order to express what chance you have of deriving a benefit from his services, a kind of fictitious object of property is spoke, spoken of, as being constituted in your favor, and is called your reputation. An offense, therefore, the tendency of which is to lessen the facility you might otherwise have had of deriving happiness or security from the services of persons at large, whether connected with you or not by a special tie, may be styled an offense against your reputation. It appears, therefore, that if by any offense an individual becomes a sufferer, it must be in one or other of the four points above mentioned, viz. his person, his property, his condition in life, or his reputation. These sources of distinction, then, may serve to form as so many subordinate divisions. If any offenses should be found to affect a person in more than one of these points at the same time, such offenses may respectively be put under so many separate divisions, and such compound divisions may be subjoined to the preceding simple ones. The several divisions, simple and compound together, which are hereinafter established, stand as follows. 1. Offenses against person. 2. Offenses against reputation. 3. Offenses against property. 4. Offenses against condition. 5. Offenses against person and property together. 6. Offenses against person and reputation together. 12. Next, with regard to semi-public offenses. Pain, considered with reference to the time of the act from which it is liable to issue, must, it is evident, be either present, past, or future. In as far as it is either present or past, it cannot be the result of any act which comes under the description of a semi-public offense. For if it be present or past, the individuals who experience or have experienced it are assignable. There remains that sort of mischief which, if it ever came to exist at all, is as yet but future. Mischief, thus circumstance, takes the name of danger. Now then, when by means of the act of any person a whole neighborhood or other class of persons are exposed to danger, this danger must either be intentional on his part or unintentional. If unintentional, such danger, when it is converted into actual mischief, makes the name of a calamity. Offenses productive of such danger may be styled semi-public offenses operating through calamity, or more briefly, offenses through calamity. If the danger be intentional, insomuch as it might be produced and might convert itself into actual mischief without the concur concurrence of any calamity, it may be said to originate in mere delinquency. Offenses, then, which, without the concurrence of any calamity, tend to produce such danger as disturbs the security of a local or other subordinate class of persons, may be styled semi-public offenses operating merely by delinquency, or more briefly, offenses of mere delinquency. 13. With regard to any farther subdivisions, 
Offenses through calamity will depend upon the nature of the several calamities to which man, and the several things that are of use to him, stand exposed. These will be considered in another place. 14. Semi-public offenses of mere delinquency will follow the method of division applied to offenses against individuals. It will easily be conceived that whatever pain or inconvenience any given individual may be made to suffer, to the danger of that pain or inconvenience may any number of individuals, assignable or not assignable, be exposed. Now, there are four points or articles, as we have seen, in respect to which an individual may be made to suffer pain or inconvenience. If, then, with respect to any one of them, the connection of causes and effects is such that to the danger of suffering in that article a number of persons, who individually are not assignable, may, by the delinquency of one person, be exposed, such article will form a ground of distinction on which a particular subdivision of semi-public offenses may be established. If, with respect to any such article, no such effect can take place, that ground of distinction will lie for the present unoccupied, ready, however, upon any change of circumstances, or in the manner of viewing the subject, to receive a correspondent subdivision of offenses, if ever it should seem necessary that any such offenses should be created. 15. We come next to self-regarding offenses, or more properly, to acts productive in the first instance of no other than a self-regarding mischief, acts which, if in any instance it be thought to fit to constitute them offenses, will come under the denomination of offenses against oneself. This class will not for the present give us much trouble, for it is evident that in whatever points a man is vulnerable by the hand of another, in the same points may he be conceived to be vulnerable by his own. Whatever divisions, therefore, will serve for the first class, the same will serve for this. As to the questions, what acts are productive of a mischief of this stamp, and among such are, which it may, and which it may not be worth while to treat upon the footing of offences. These are points, the latter of which, at least, is too unsettled and too open to controversy to be laid down with that degree of confidence which is implied in the exhibition of properties which are made use of as the groundwork of an arrangement. Properties for this purpose ought to be such as show themselves at first glance and appear to belong to the subject beyond dispute. 16. Public offenses may be distributed under eleven divisions. First, offenses against external security. Second, offenses against justice. Third, offenses against the preventive branch of the police. Fourth, offenses against the public force. Fifth, offenses against the positive increase of the national felicity. Sixth, offenses against the public wealth. Seventh, offenses against population. Eighth, offenses against the national wealth. Ninth, offenses against the sovereignty. Tenth, offenses against religion. Eleventh, offenses against the national interest in general. The way in which these several sorts of offenses con connect with each other, and with the interest of the public, that is, of an unassignable multitude of the individuals of which that body is composed, 
may thus be conceived. 17. Mischief by which the interest of the public, as above defined, may be affected, must, if produced at all, be produced either by means of an influence exerted on the operations of government, or by other means without the exertion of such influence. To begin with the latter case, mischief, be it what it will, and let it happen to whom it will, must be produced either by the unassisted powers of the agent in question, or by the instrumentality of some other agents. In the latter case, these agents will be either persons or things. Persons, again, must be either not members of the community in question, or members. Mischief produced by the instrumentality of persons may accordingly be produced by the instrumentality either of external or of internal adversaries. Now, when it is produced by the agent's own unassisted powers, or by the instrumentality of internal adversaries, or only by the instrumentality of things, it is seldom that it can show itself in any other shape, setting aside any influence it may exert on the operations of government, than either that of an offence against assignable individuals, or that of an offence against a local or other subordinate class of persons. If there should be a way in which mischief can be produced, by any of these means, to individuals altogether unassignable, it will scarcely be found conspicuous or important enough to occupy a title by itself. It may accordingly be referred to the miscellaneous head of offences against the national interest in general. The only mischief, of any considerable amount, which can be made to impend indiscriminately over the whole number of members in the community, is that complex kind of mischief which results from a state of war, and is produced by the instrumentality of external adversaries, by their being provoked, for instance, or invited, or encouraged to invasion. In this way may a man very well bring down a mischief, and that a very heavy one, upon the whole community in general, and that without taking a part in any of the injuries which came in consequence to be offered to particular individuals. Next, with regard to the mischief which an offence may bring upon the public by its influence on the operations of the government. This it may occasion either, first, in a more immediate way, by its influence on those operations themselves, second, in a more remote way, by its influence on the instruments by or by the help of which those operations should be performed, or third, in a more remote way still, by its influence on the sources from whence such instruments are to be derived. First, then, as to the operations of government, the tendency of these, in as far as it is conformable to what, on the principle of utility it ought to be, is in every sense either to avert mischief from the community, or to make an addition to the sum of positive good. Now mischief, we have seen, must come either from external adversaries, from internal adversaries, or from calamities. With regard to mischief from external adversaries, there requires no further division. As to mischief from internal adversaries, the expedients employed for averting it may be distinguished into such as may be applied before the discovery of any mischievous design in particular, and such as cannot be employed but in consequence of the discovery of some such design. The former of these are commonly referred to a branch which may be styled the preventive branch of the police, 
the latter to that of justice. Secondly, as to the instruments which government, whether in the averting of evil or in the producing of positive good, can have to work with, these must be either persons or things. Those which are destined to the particular function of guarding against mischief from adversaries in general, but more particularly from external adversaries, may be distinguished from the rest under the collective appellation of the public military force, and for conciseness's sake, the military force. The rest may be characterized by the collective appellation of the public wealth. Thirdly, with regard to the sources or funds from whence these instruments, however applied, must be derived, such of them as come under the denomination of persons must be taken out of the whole number of persons that are in the community, that is, out of the total population of the state, so that the greater the population, the greater the sideris paribus be this branch of the public wealth, and the less, the less. In like manner, such as come under the denomination of things may be, and most of them commonly are, taken out of the sum total of those things which are the separate properties of the several members of the community, the sum of which properties may be termed the national wealth, so that the greater the national wealth, the greater caderus paribus may be this remaining branch of the public wealth, and the less, the less. It is here to be observed that if the influence exerted on any occasion by any individual over the operations of the government be pernicious, it must be in one or other of two ways. One, by causing or tending to cause operations not to be performed which ought to be performed, in other words, by impeding the operations of government. Or two, by causing operations to be performed which ought not to be performed, in other words, by misdirecting them. Lastly, to the total assemblage of the persons by whom the several political operations above mentioned come to be performed, we set out with applying the collective appellation of the government. Among these persons, there commonly is some one person or body of persons whose office it is to assign and distribute to the rest their several departments to determine the conduct to be pursued by each in the performance of the particular set of operations that belongs to him, and even upon occasion to exercise his function in his stead. Where there is any such person or body of persons, he or it may, according to the turn of the phrase requires, be termed the sovereign or the sovereignty. Now it is evident that to impede or misdirect the operations of the sovereign, as here described, may be to impede or misdirect the operations of the several departments of government as described above. From this analysis, by which the connection between several above-mentioned heads of offenses is exhibited, we may now collect a definition for each article. By offenses against external security, we may understand such offenses whereof the tendency is to bring upon the public a mischief resulting from the hostilities of foreign adversaries. By offenses against justice, such offenses whereof the tendency is to impede or misdirect the operations of that power which is employed in the business of guarding the public against the mischiefs resulting from the delinquency of internal adversaries, as far as it is to be done by expedients, which do not come to be applied in any case till after the discovery of some particular design of the sort of those which they are calculated to prevent. 
by offences against the preventive branch of the police, such offences whereof the tendency is to impede or misdirect the operations of that power which is employed in guarding against mischiefs resulting from the delinquency of internal adversaries by expedients that come to be applied beforehand, or of that which is employed in guarding against the mischiefs that might be occasioned by physical calamities. By offences against the public force, such offences whereof the tendency is to impede or misdirect the operations of that power which, destined to guard the public from the mischiefs, which may result from the hostility of foreign adversaries, and, in case of necessity, in the capacity of ministers of justice, from mischiefs of the number of those which result from the delinquency of internal adversaries. By offences against the increase of the national felicity, such offences whereof the tendency is to impede or misapply the operations of those powers that are employed in the conducting of various establishments, which are calculated to make, in so many different ways, a positive addition to the stock of public happiness. By offences against the public wealth, such offences whereof the tendency is to diminish the amount or misdirect the application of the money and other articles of wealth which the government reserves as a fund, out of which the stock of instruments employed in the service above mentioned may be kept up. By offences against population, such offences whereof the tendency is to diminish the numbers or impair the political value of the sum total of the members of the community. By offences against the national wealth, such offences whereof the tendency is to diminish the quantity or impair the value of the things which compose the separate properties or estates of the several members of the community. 18. In this deduction, it may be asked, what place is left for religion? This we shall see presently. For combating the various kinds of offences above enumerated, that is, for combating all the offences, those not excepted which we are now about considering, which it is in man's nature to commit, the state has two great engines, punishment and reward. Punishment, to be applied to all, and upon all ordinary occasions. Reward, to be applied to a few, for particular purposes, and upon extraordinary occasions. But whether or no a man has done the act which renders him an object meet for punishment or reward, the eyes of those, who, whosoever they be, to whom the management of these engines is entrusted, cannot always see, nor, where it is punishment that is to be administered, can their hands be always sure to reach him. To supply these deficiencies in point of power, it is thought necessary, or at least useful, without which the truth of the doctrine would be nothing to the purpose, to inculcate into the minds of the people the belief of the existence of a power applicable to the same purposes and not liable to the same deficiencies the power of a supreme invisible being, to whom a disposition of contributing to the same ends to which the several institutions already mentioned are calculated to contribute, must for this purpose be ascribed. It is of course expected that this power will, at one time or other, be employed in the promoting of those ends, and to keep up and strengthen this expectation among men, it is spoken of as being the employment of a kind of allegorical personage feigned, as before, for convenience of discourse and styled religion. To diminish, then, or misapply the influence of religion 
is pro tanto to diminish or misapply what power the state has of combating with effect any of the before enumerated kinds of offenses, that is, all kinds of offenses whatsoever. Acts that appear to have this tendency may be styled offenses against religion. Of these, then, may be composed the tenth division of the class of offenses against the state. 19. If there be any acts which appear liable to affect the state in any one or more of the above ways, by operating in prejudice of the external security of the state, or of its internal security, of the public force, of the increase of the national felicity, of the public wealth, of the rational population, of the national wealth, of the sovereignty, or of religion, at the same time that it is not clear in which of all these ways they will affect it most, nor but that, according to con contingencies, they may affect it in one of these ways only, or in another. Such acts may be collected under a miscellaneous division by themselves and styled offenses against the national interest in general. Of these, then, may be composed the eleventh and last division of the class of offenses against the state. 20. We come now to class the fifth, consisting of multiform offenses. These, as has been already intimated, are either offenses by falsehood or offenses concerning trust. Under the head of offenses by falsehood may be comprehended simple falsehoods, forgery, personation, perjury. Let us observe in what particulars the four kinds of falsehood agree and in what they differ. 21. Offenses by falsehood however diversified in other particulars, have this in common, that they consist in some abuse of the faculty of discourse, or rather, as we shall see hereafter, of the faculty of influencing the sentiment of belief in other men, whether by discourse or otherwise. The use of discourse is to influence belief, and that in such manner as to give other men to understand that things are as they are really. Falsehoods, of whatever kind they be, agree in this, that they give men to understand that things are otherwise than they, in reality, they are. 22. Personation, forgery, and perjury are each of them distinguished from other modes of uttering falsehood by certain special circumstances. When a falsehood is not accompanied by any of those circumstances, it may be styled simple falsehood. These circumstances are, first, the form in which the falsehood is uttered, the second, the circumstance of its relating or not to the identity of the person of him who utters it, and third, the solemnity of the occasion on which it is uttered. The particular application of these distinctive characters may more commodiously be reserved for another place. 23. We come now to the subdivisions of offenses by falsehood. These will bring us back into the regular track of analysis pursued without deviation through the four preceding classes. By whatever means a mischief is brought about, whether falsehood be or be not of the number, the individuals liable to be affected by it must either be assignable or unassignable. 
If assignable, there are but four material articles in respect to which they can be affected, to wit, their persons, their properties, their reputations, and their conditions in life. The case is the same if, though unassignable, they are comprisable in any class subordinate to that which is composed of the whole number of members of the state. If the falsehood tend to the detriment of the whole state, it can only be by operating in one or other of the characters which every act that is an offense against the state must assume, i.e. that of an offense against external security, against justice, against the preventive branch of the police, against the public force, against the increase of the national felicity, against the public wealth, against the national population, against the national wealth, against the sovereignty of the state, or against its religion. 24. It is the common property, then, of the offenses that belong to this division to run over the same ground that is occupied by those of the preceding classes. But some of them, as we shall see, are apt, on various occasions, to drop or change the names which bring them under this division. This is chiefly the case with regard to simple falsehoods. Others retain their names unchanged, and even thereby supersede the names which would otherwise belong to the offenses which they denominate. This is clearly the case with regard to personation, forgery, and perjury. When this circumstance, then, the circumstance of falsehood, intervenes, in some cases the name which takes the lead is that which indicates the offense by its effect. In other cases, it is that which indicates the expedient or instrument, as it were, by the help of which the offense is committed. Falsehood, take it by itself, consider it as not being accompanied by any other material circumstances, nor therefore productive of any material effects, can never, upon the principle of utility, constitute any offense at all. Combined with other circumstances, there is scarce any sort of pernicious effect which it may not be instrumental in producing. It is therefore rather in compliance with the laws of language than in consideration of the nature of the things themselves, that falsehoods are made separate mention of under the name and in the character of distinct offenses. All this would appear plain enough if it were now a time for entering into particulars, but that is what cannot be done consistently with any principle of order or convenience until the inferior divisions of those other classes shall have been previously exhibited. End of chapter 16, section 2, part A.